0: So Money Episode Six Forty Nine Kelly Richmond Pope, director of All the Queen's Horses, professor, and forensic accounting expert.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a thirty-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: Welcome to So Money everyone. Ready to get forensic on the human condition? Welcome to So Money. I'm your host Farnush Chirabi. We're going to dig into what actually has people create crime and not just any crime, financial crime, like what is actually behind it, the motivation, the mindset. And to bring this to life, uh, we have Kelly Richmond Pope on the show. She is the genius behind the movie, All the Queen's Horses. It is a true story of Rita Cronwell, one of the nation's leading quarter horse breeders who was also arrested in 2012. She was the largest municipal fraud perpetrator in the country's history, She embezzled upwards of $50 million as the Comptroller and Treasurer of Dixon, Illinois. Now, it's not $50 billion or $60 billion like Bernie Madoff, but $50 million is a lot of money. And we're talking small-town Illinois. And we're talking about a woman who was trusted, right? She was a horse breeder. What? There were no signs that she was going to be stealing her money, but were there, The film's actually won HBO's Best Documentary Award at the Martha's Vineyard African American Film Festival. Critics are going nuts. They love it. Kelly's not just a filmmaker, she's also an associate professor in the School of Accountancy and MIS at DePaul University in Chicago. And there she teaches a lot of different courses around accounting and also a course on leadership. She's also a speaker and an author. She's worked in the forensic practice at KPMG on anti-money laundering engagements, insurance fraud investigations, and fraud risk management projects. So she is well-versed in the forensic accounting field, and she's on a ton of forensic accounting seminars around the world for universities and corporations and governments. So she really has this perspective that few of us really have, not just on the accounting role, but I think. In doing this documentary, too, what actually drives people to commit crime of this scale? This is a good one. Here we go. Here's Kelly Richmond Pope. Kelly Richmond Pope, welcome to So Money. It's great to connect with you. Thank you for having me. It's such a great time to have you on the show because recently, listeners, Kelly's uh, film, the documentary, All the Queen's Forces," won the HBO's Best Documentary Award at the Martha's Vineyard African-American Film Festival. You're a busy lady. You're not just a filmmaker.
1: No, I'm not just a filmmaker. I'm also an accounting professor. And um, some days I dabble in some freelance journalism and, and I have a, a business. So
0: I keep busy. I keep busy. Well, I'm very interested in all the Queen's horses. I understand this is a film that looks closely at um, a I guess it was a horse breeder in a very small town. It was also the controller of the air of the community. And she was basically embezzling over what, $50 million over a series of years. Yes. Yes. A, how did you learn about this and and what fascinated you most about it? And then at what point did you decide this needs to be a documentary? Sure. Well, um,
1: I teach forensic accounting. So, and um, I was, I'm a former forensic accountant from one of the big four accounting firms. So professionally, this is what I did. And when I left the firm, um, I still had that desire and that interest of investigative work. So when I went back to teaching at DePaul University, I still was interested in, in these crime stories. So I was going around the country interviewing white-collar felons, whistleblowers, and victims of fraud. And I would take a, a team of people with me, camera, sound, um, to, to learn more and record these stories. So when the Dixon story broke and hit the news, big headlines City Comptroller and Bezels at the time they thought it was 30 million dollars. And I was like, Whoa, this is this is crazy. Like, how does one person steal that much money? So we started going back and forth to Dixon, and Dixon is about a hundred miles west of Chicago. And we just started talking to people. And as I started getting into the story and talking to people, I just felt like this needs to be turned into something larger because once you get beyond the fact that this one person stole the money, what you then start thinking about is how is it discovered? Could this happen anywhere? I'm sure it's happening somewhere as we're talking, but I felt like people needed to truly understand how this could really happen. Because if it can happen in Dixon, where there is a population of 16,000 people and an annual budget between six and eight million dollars, If one person can steal $53 million in that area, we know that this is happening all over. So I thought it was an important story to
0: tell and that people needed to understand why, why and how. And just to explain to listeners, we're talking about the true story of Rita Cronwell. She was or is, or I don't know, I guess was, she's in jail now, one of the nation's leading quarter horse breeders. She was arrested in 2012 um, it was the largest municipal fraud perpetrator uh, crime in the, in the country's history, and as you mentioned, she embezzled over fifty million dollars as the comptroller and treasurer of Dixon, Illinois. Kelly, you are obsessed with crime, and can I say that? Is that, that, is that yes. fair to say? I'm, like, really I'm, a, I'm a lover of all things wrong. Lover of all crime. I was reading about. Uh, I was reading about you. I was. I was doing my research, and I, I fell upon an article where you had a very bold claim, which is that we're all capable of committing a crime. Do you really think that? And why is that? Well, I think that
1: we all have the propensity to rationalize our way out of a decision or out of a choice. And so I think one of the reasons why we keep seeing so many headlines about people that seem to have everything going for them and they commit these crimes is because We all are capable and we often push the envelope. We sometimes just see, can we get away with it? And often it's small things like speeding or um, claiming too much on your um, reimbursement at work or using office supplies for personal use. We all make these little missteps all of the time, but we rationalize them that they're not a big deal. So when we think about that, I would guess that most of us do something every day. now it could be small, but we still do it. And so that's why I think that we are all capable. And I spend a lot of time interviewing everyday people that you work with, that you uh, worship with, that you went to school with. And and those are the people that are in the headlines. Those are the people that I tend to find myself sitting across a, a coffee and, and hearing about how they had it all. And they just made that one decision that really ruined their lives. And so you I think we all have it in us, um, not to say that we all will exercise it, but we all think about it. We all are capable of thinking about it. And when you know that about yourself, I think you're more vigilant to stop. The behavior, But if you think that it could never be you, that's when I think you should be
0: cautious. So should we have any empathy then for criminals? <laughs> I bet um, with, that, with that philosophy.
1: I think actually with that philosophy, that should allow us more empathy because we can understand, we should be able to empathize more how a person can, um, can do something like this. So, so if you take this case, if you take this documentary And you say Rita stole $53 million. It sounds like a a whopping amount of money. But if you think about the how the, the structure of Dixon, here's a person that worked in an environment where there were no controls around the money and she was the only one. That had access and controlled the money. So it's almost like if you had a safe that you were just that just was sitting in the middle of the road and was open and had money just spilling out of it. How many people do you think would just walk by the safe and not take any money? How many people do you think would call and turn the safe in? That's sort of how Dixon was to Rita. Nobody was looking, so she started taking. And I think that um, because using that safe analogy we can empathize we can think about yeah well maybe I'll take fifty dollars no one's looking no somebody else would take it so I'm gonna take it before they can so I think when you realize that you can relate to a lot of these stories then you are able to empathize now most of my time is spent with um, everyday people that commit that commit a crime I um, often don't interview, the Bernard Madoffs of the world, because I think that in Madoff's case, he had reached such a high level that a lot of people can't relate to the the level that he reached. But when you think about a person that is a vice president or manager or even a staff role in a company, you can often relate to their life experience. And so I think that that allows you to empathize a little better.
0: I wonder if that has anything to do with why, as a, as a culture, we're so obsessed with crime shows oh. and crime documentaries, right? As we're talking, it's making me wonder. Maybe it's because we're, like, in some ways feeling a connection. I think <laughs> we are. That That's a
1: great point. I think that we do feel a connection. I mean, if you think about just from the past couple of years— um, Some of the shows or movies and documentaries that were nominated for Oscars, a lot of them had a crime theme. If you think about some of the content that's currently on Netflix, um Orange is the New Black, um, Ozarks, uh, Narcos, um, Breaking Bad, like all of those kinds of shows, we're drawn to those main characters, those antiheroes for a reason. And I think part of it is we're just fascinated with the ability that. For them to get away with things. Now, eventually, they get caught, but the ride up to until they do get caught, we're just fascinated by it. And I think that um, the the frequency of these shows is telling us something about where we are as a society and what we're fascinated by. And ultimately, how did Rita get? discovered what or who unveiled it? Sure. So that is a very important question. Really, it's the backbone of the documentary. Um, Rita was discovered by her employee. Her employee um, is a woman by the name of Kathy Swanson. And Kathy Swanson um, was the city clerk. She's retired now. And she discovered that this secret account that Rita was um, hiding from everyone. And she opened the mail one day when Rita was out of town and noticed these withdrawals and deposits that was coming out out of this secret account that she didn't know about. And that's how it was discovered. So it was discovered by a whistleblower. And ironically, or interestingly, most frauds are discovered by whistleblowers um, in comparison to other methods such as internal audits, external audits, IT, you know, it's typically by a whistleblower.
0: Well, to flip it, you say you know, we're all capable of committing a crime. That also means that we're all capable of being criminalized. Sure. Yeah. You could flip it and say that too. Absolutely. I mean, you could, right? And so any advice for, and this is a money show. And so we, you know, we entrust sometimes many other people to help us with our finances, whether that's Someone like you, a CPA, or a financial advisor, or an account, or a lawyer, from the client's perspective, from a per- consumer perspective, what are some ways to make sure that when you're working in a team that your money is actually being managed accordingly? I think the
1: best piece of advice, and it's going to sound simple, but the best piece of advice to make sure that. Uh, you're never uh, taken advantage of financially by an advisor is really showing that person that you're working with that you're paying attention. And I think oftentimes when it comes to finances, people just shut down. And when you find a person that you think you trust, you leave everything to them and you don't ask any questions and you feel like, oh, I found um, Joe and Joe's co- Joe's got it covered. I don't have to ever think about this because I trust Joe 100%. And I think when you find yourself in those types of arrangements, that's when you need to be careful because you always need to know what's going on. And I think that it's important for people to just have a basic understanding of how to read a financial statement, a basic understanding of really reading your bank statement and understanding the fees because banks make mistakes too. And so understanding what is going on. We think about what's happened over the past couple of weeks with the Equifax breach. You know, it's now requiring people to pay attention to their past transactions in a way that they probably never did. And now you really need to. And I'm one of the 143 million um, Americans whose um, information was taken. So now I'm even more diligent than I was before about paying attention to the transactions on my debit card, paying attention to the transactions on my credit card. It has, has credit been opened without my permission. So really just paying attention and knowing that I don't entrust any one person to manage my finances better than myself.
0: Kelly, I'd love to pick your money brain a little bit since this is the show called So Money and we've, uh, we've touched on money quite a bit already. But from a personal perspective, I'd love to learn now if you have Perhaps an overarching financial philosophy. Maybe it's an approach that you take when you're managing your own money or giving advice. But do you have a money mantra of sorts? So
1: when I was um, younger, my, my money mantra was really established by my dad. And I remember my dad always saying that you should keep about $250 cash and never go to the ATM machine more than once a week. And this was years ago. And with the with the birth of debit cards, um, it seems like that's much harder. But you know what I found is the more I stick to that advice, the better I'm able to control that miscellaneous amount of spending that I do. You know, the Starbucks swiping my debit card, running a target swiping my debit card, you know, going into Whole Foods swiping my debit card ordering off from Amazon, if I control that to maybe two purchases and two times to the ATM machine and keep just some cash with me, I find that I spend less money. Um, so that's that's one of my mantras. Another one is only going out to eat for lunch once a week. That keeps a lot more money in my pocket. Um, and the last would be um, watching my... Um, my uh, cell phone bill And what I've noticed sometimes Is my cell phone has become Has replaced that credit card So you remember when you were younger I'm not sure how old you are But I may be older than you But there was once a time When we were in college And when I was in college At the credit card People were all over the place And you could go and open a credit card And had a cr- crazy high interest rate And everybody did it, right? Did you remember those days? Oh, I signed up for a number of credit
0: cards <laughs> Well, it's almost sure. like shot glass.
1: Yeah. I love that. But it's almost like the, your cell phone has replaced. It's a cell phone bill is like the modern day. your wallet. Yes. Yeah. But it's, but if you think about it, the two things that I've noticed that with my life that I'm trying to figure out how to cut the cost somewhat is my cell phone bill and my wireless bill at home, because those are two money pits for me and they're very expensive. And I'm trying to figure out ways to really control that. But Those are a couple little tips that I that I'm trying to employ in my life to just have more loose cash um, around the house. Something I also do is um, at my front door, I have a huge glass container for spare change that I keep all year long. You know, just the pennies, the nickels that are always sitting around the house that you just never pay attention to. And I collect all those. And at the end of the year, I take them to the bank and you'd be surprised how much money you have
0: at the end of the year. Yes. I'm staring at my coin jar right now. <laughs> you and, you know, my son's only three. He doesn't really have the uh, the abilities to really learn about money yet. But he is, at the very least, picking up spare change around the house and dropping it in a coin jar. Yeah, so, it's, it's a it's a good thing.
1: And, you know, something someone said to me a while ago is, what you're, those habits that you learn between like three and eight years old are really the same habits you need to take into your adult life. And just like putting that change at three for him, it's the same thing I'm doing at home.
0: And earlier when you talked about, you know, not going to the ATM more than twice, uh, you, what it sounds like you're doing, which is, I think, great advice for all of us. And it's actually been proven in research that when, when as humans, we create frameworks around habits or benchmarks or rules of thumb we are more likely to stick, stay on the path. So this is a great take-home tip. Like you figure out what your financial rules of thumb are. Maybe you have a few. And for you, Kelly, it sounds like I'm not going to go to the HM more than twice or I'm not, I'm only going to go have my lunch out once a week. You create these frameworks for yourself. And then, you know, as the good stewards of money that we are, or like, the, you know, we try to do well and it helps us to kind of stay the course, and and I think for me
1: when it comes to my money, I have to be honest with myself and understand, truly understand and admit my weaknesses. And my biggest weakness right now is business travel, like keeping up with all the receipts or um putting travel on my credit card and waiting six to eight weeks to get it reimbursed and remembering that I need to go back and put it towards that trip. That was six to eight weeks. That is my biggest weakness right now. So what I'm looking for now is an app that really helps me keep that aspect of my, of my business.
0: Just life. Say, anybody have an app suggestion? <laughs> you should just make yeah,
1: one. Oh, hey, maybe we'll do it together.
0: <laughs> well, there has to be a system. A like. For all sorts of receipts. Like, I mean, I think there's, you know, maybe um, some things out there, but specifically for travel, for business travelers, I think that would be genius. Yeah,
1: I, it, it's have- necessary because that's that's where I find my personal money pit to be. And um, I travel a lot. So, you know, I can easily rack up $3,000 of hotel and um, airfare on my American Express and have to wait three or four months to get that reimbursement. So that can really throw off your money flow, your cash flow when you're doing that.
0: Yes. Kelly, you talked about childhood and how important your early development is between three and nine. And I'm curious, when you were a child, and you already even just talked about your dad too, it sounds like he was a great financial role model. What were some of the poignant money moments that you had as a kid that maybe at the time they didn't really mean anything to you. But now as an adult, you reflect back and you go, you know what I learned? That was where I learned how to do X, Y, or Z. I'll tell you uh, one that is just vivid
1: in my memory is um, when it was time to go back to school shopping, my dad would make me submit a budget. And he would say, okay, what is it that you think you want to get? And he would make me, he would have me write out a budget and I would, I would say, okay, dad, I want, I want to go to the limited. I remember the limited was big then. I think they're all gone now, but I want to go to the limited and um, I'm going to spend $250. And so he would, he would make me submit a formal budget to him and he would go line by line approving or denying the different purchases. And then what he would do is he would say, "Okay, Kelly, your budget is for two hundred and fifty dollars. Here's two hundred and fifty dollars. And every time he gave me the money, I spent less. And it, it helped me learn how to manage my my money, because what I realized was, well, I could go to the limited, but I could probably get that same shirt somewhere cheaper and save that money and keep it in my pocket. And so I remember that routinely year after year after year, because I used that as a way to make money as opposed to spending money. So that was probably one of the most vivid memories that I had. Um, I always had a lemonade stand um, because I at an early age, I wanted to make my own money and not that I had a lot of it, but I just wanted to feel I felt empowered by being able to develop a product, and even if it was just a quarter, and then I wanted to go to the store and buy a pack of gum, it was from my work. So I learned that early. And um, I always took pride in that. And so when I think back to sort of where I came versus where I am now, I started taking accounting in high school. And so fast forward thousands of years later, and I ended up getting a PhD in accounting and I ended up being a CPA. And so it really started so early for me. But those those early lessons at home about submitting that budget for those back to school clothes is what what really started for me.
0: I'm so impressed with your accounting acumen. I mean, I couldn't even deal with accounting 201. (laughs) in college. And I do think that your brain has to be wired a certain way for accounting. It's sort of like physics, like. I don't know. I, uh, I'm good at math. I'm good at languages. I'm good at writing, but accounting just was so hard for me. And I don't know, did you find that it just clicked for you or you had to work at it? Obviously, probably you have this like inner genius around numbers and it's not even about numbers though. Like accounting is a whole other language. It is. You know, the thing about accounting is this, you
1: must have a good teacher, You must have someone that can break it down for you in layman's terms and can really just make you see it. And I always was fortunate to have extremely outstanding teachers explain very complex topics in a simple way. And so I had that early on, even as early as high school. I remember Mrs. Farrell was my accounting teacher at Jordan High School in Durham, North Carolina. And she could make it seem so easy. So by the time I got to college, I didn't find it challenging, but I've always had good teachers. And oftentimes when I meet people who have had an accounting class and they had a bad experience, and I say, describe your classroom experience to me, tell tell me a little bit about your teacher. And I can always tell that it was a bad person leading them through on the accounting path. So it's key to have someone that can break it down, because like you said, it is its own language. And um, it's the language of business, like we like to tell students. And so, just like you learned French or Spanish, you have to learn that language. And if you have an outstanding teacher, that language stays with you.
0: Where were you when I was taking the Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention, I was such a fan of the Limited growing up as well. Remember Limited too? I don't know if you ever shopped there. They are still around in like, very few malls around the country I think there's my parents live out in California they have a mall and there is actually a limited there and I oh my gosh I feel like I'm 12 the years limited, old again when the I limited
1: was everything it was everything yeah. and I mean that was that was like the gold standard on my budget like to be able to get a sweater and some stirrups from the limited like I remember that
0: <laughs> let's talk about failure have you ever had a financial failure financial failure um
1: I think yes um I think I am in the I'm in the midst of trying to ward off a financial failure. <laughs> so um I'm in the process right now as we speak. I'm a, I'm a, about to put my house on the market and I am renting a new place. And so going into this plan, I was supposed to have my house on the market and sold and then renting a place, not having two like a rent and a mortgage at the same time. So I'm trying to manage a financial failure from happening because it's a lot of money spent that I'm spending out that I didn't budget for. Um, so that's what I'm currently doing right now.
0: And what's your proudest money moment to date?
1: My proudest money moment to date. Hmm. That's a really good question. Ha! Huh, I'll tell you my, one of my proudest moments um, was um, so I went to graduate school um, and I didn't have to pay for it. So um, I went to Virginia Tech for five years for free, and that was a very proud moment because it it made me feel like all the hard work up until that point was worth it, and it really helped me um, not go not be in a a financial hole right now because of graduate school, and so you notice a lot of people that do go and earn a graduate degree come out with huge amounts of debt. And so I would say one of my, my proudest moment is going to graduate school for free.
0: How did you work that out? Uh, well, see, there is
1: um, there are not a lot of people that want to get a Ph.D. in accounting, <laughs> believe it or not. And so um, there are at the time and there still are opportunities, a lot of scholarship and grant opportunities for people that are interested in. In getting a Ph.D. in accounting because they wanted to there's a program called the Ph.D. Project and the Ph.D. Project is trying to help uh, people of color um, be in front of the business school and business classrooms in in the business schools. And so um, I happened to receive a fellowship through them. And I also received a scholarship um, from Virginia Tech because I had good grades and good scores. And so it just sort of worked out. So I, I'm, I was, I'm very proud of that. And I've never even spoken about it, but that, that was a, that's a big deal
0: because. That's you know, a huge because what, five times like $30,000 a year minimum? Yeah. I mean, how much do you think you saved? Like, um, over? I probably
1: saved at least $215,000, I would say. And that's, you know, all in books, tuition, rent, food, um, traveling abroad, all the stuff that comes with a graduate experience—I would say two hundred and fifteen thousand, easy.
0: Wow, a quarter of a million dollars! Imagine being a quarter of a million dollars oh in my debt. Go- but you know what? And I'm sure you would be able to make those payments, oh. given that you're super
1: successful. But still, there are a lot of people that are, though. You know, there are a lot of people that are. And what's interesting about that amount of debt is. There are so many people that are saddled with that kind of debt that don't have the salary to keep up with those kind of payments and they just live their life and they're paying back that for like 30 years. So I'm very fortunate that that didn't happen to me.
0: Well, public service announcement to anyone listening, if you know someone or if this is you encountering a quarter of a million dollar bill for any degree, I don't care what it is, walk away. <laughs> and I will say that there are, you can get that, go somewhere else that is not the right school and the right program for you. I think that's highway robbery, frankly. I think I mean, you're just never going to be able to live a, a peaceful life no. um, unless you win the lottery yeah, or something. And the
1: and the, and the, num- the numbers aren't in your favor for that, right? No.
0: Kelly, let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is kind of a lightning round uh, way to wrap the show. I'll, I'll start off a sentence. You finish it. The first thing that comes to mind. Right. Ready? Speaking of lottery, if I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won $100 million, The first thing I would do is Uh, pay off my house. The one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is investing at the age of three. At three, as opposed to five or nine or 18
1: or 19.
0: Yeah. Well, still you had a head start there. (laughs) That's that's good. Um, But yeah, as I can see where a 15 year head start from that would have made, made a lot more money for you. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Uh, house cleaning services. The one splurge that I make regularly that I can't do without is?
1: I go to a lot of group fitness classes that are a little bit too pricey and I could do it on my own. <laughs>
0: So expensive and they don't cut you they any deals. They don't cut you like any you deals. They
1: think they they think if you get a package, it's two dollars off. I mean, but they're they're
0: pricey. Maybe. They
1: are pricey. If you really look at it and break it down and look at how many times you go in a week or a month, you've spent a lot of money.
0: Yeah. Hopefully you see the results too. Yeah, as long as you um, don't eat any cake or ice cream or <laughs> When I donate, I like to give to blank.
1: When I donate I like to give to church. That's
0: nice. Do you have, do you have like a, some people have like a mandatory 10% they do and they tithe every year? Do yeah, well,
1: we're encouraged to do. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny because one of the, one of the mantras, if you will, is about budgeting and planning so that you can meet that. So um, I try, I try to. I feel good about, um, about doing that. So I feel good at doing that. I feel also good to giving money for scholarships for kids that are trying to go to college or trying to have any experience in college, or they're trying to buy their books for school. And so I think, um, you know, education and your faith is really important. So I feel good when I give money there.
0: And last but not least, I'm Kelly Pope. You go with by Kelly Pope or are you the full name? I go name? by my full name, Kelly Richmond Pope, no hyphen. <laughs> I'm Kelly Richmond Pope. I'm so money
1: because. I'm Kelly Richmond Pope and I am so money because I've been studying money since I have been eight years old. (laughs) I remember the first time I got allowance, I ironed the money with the iron on the ironing board with an iron. Yes, I did.
0: (laughs) You allowed to use iron when you date. yeah
1: I, well, I wasn't supposed to, but I was just so fascinated. I wanted story. it neat and clean and orderly, and so I have like a ten dollar bill that had been cash, so yeah wow. I, yeah i'm so I'm so wow. money because I've been fascinated by money since I was about eight years old
0: <laughs> and thank you for demystifying it for us, thank you for outing some of these criminals and showcasing you know just the behind the scenes of. Of, of how money works and the money schemes that are out there and what to look out for. And hey, if you notice something, if you see something, say something, people, okay? Because totally. this is, according to Kelly, the criminals are caught mostly by whistleblowers. That's right. That's right. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Likewise. And congrats again on all the Queen's forces. We look forward to seeing that hopefully on the big screen or on, on HBO, maybe. We'll be we out our fingers That's crossed. Right. For Thank you, Kelly. you so much. Thanks so much to Kelly Richmond Pope for coming on the show. Her website is kellyrichmondpope.com and she is on Twitter at Kelly R. Pope. The movie, again, is called All the Queen's Horses. You can go to allthequeenshorsesfilm.com and check out where some of the upcoming screenings will be. Maybe you'll be in the neighborhood. I know there's one coming up in Denver on November 16th at the University of Denver. So if you're around, be sure to check it out. I wish I could see this movie. I think it should come to HBO that's what I'm thinking. HBO by Kelly's Movie. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone, and I hope your day is so money.